You are listening to Pastor Don Cherry from Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, recorded on February 21st, 2021. For more information about our church, visit our website, svbcfamily.com, or find us on all things social at svbcfamily. Um, take your Bibles and let's go to Mark chapter 2. And all now the... Um the last couple of weeks, because of weather issues and all, we've not been able to kind of stay on track here, but we began probably a month ago, uh, five weeks ago, something like that, looking into the Gospel of Mark and walking through that to see Jesus uh, in the light of a servant. Uh, each of the different Gospel writers portray Christ in a different characteristic, okay? Mark shows him as a servant. So Mark is not as interested in Jesus' words, so to speak. Okay, there's three more, five more that just came in, and all Brother Sanford brought some in. So, hey, you folks are doing good. We're doing good. We'll keep her going. But um, uh, Mark is not so much interested in the words, okay, that Jesus speaks and everything, but rather the actions behind the words. And as we go through uh, the Gospel of Mark, you'll see that Jesus is very involved in engaging with the people, all right? He is ministering to the people. He is getting down to where the people are at. He's not set up shop at all. He has not said, hey, here's my shingle and everything. You come see me. Rather, Christ is making his way to the people and dealing with them in real time and with the real issues that they are facing. So if you look there in verse 1, you'll see... And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. Now, Capernaum is a fishing community that sits on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was the home of Peter and Andrew, two of Jesus' disciples. And oftentimes, Jesus would and his disciples would retreat there for just a time of rest, just a time of, uh, you know, getting away, like we, that time that we all need. And, of course, in chapter 1, we see that Christ was quite busy. He was doing a lot. So now they're just kind of stepping back, kind of a little bit R&R. Christ is back there in Capernaum, and then we're going to see that there is more that he is going to be involved in. So if you look there in verse 2, And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto him. Uh, now, I want you to notice there, okay, so Christ is in a house, right? We get that picture, and people are just gathered everywhere. They're in the doorway. They're in the windows. They, I mean, they're everywhere, okay? And what does Christ do? Well, he doesn't serve milk and cookies. Not that there's anything wrong with milk and cookies, okay? But that's not the purpose, because remember, the Gospel of Luke tells us Jesus' purpose in 1910 was that he, was to come, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his whole purpose. That was his whole reason for coming and being, you see. So the, the Jesus is what? He's preaching the word of God to them. Now, something I wanted to bring out of this is oftentimes maybe we see a verse like that. And we say a Jesus, it says that Jesus preached the word. We might think, well, I can't preach. I mean, I can't go out to the town square and preach. I can't go over here and preach. I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm not called to preach. But listen. What Jesus was doing was communicating the Word of God, and each and every one of us can do that. Each and every one of us can communicate the Word of God, whether we use tracts, 
whether we use social platforms, whether we use the newspaper, what, whatever it might be. We can all be involved in ministering the Word of God, okay? So the thing that I want to get across with, with that verse there is I don't want you to see the word preach and think, I can't do it. But rather, I want you to see, yes, Jesus preached to them, but he had a message to preach, and it's the same message you and I have today. And we have many means that we can get that message out. Now pick it up in verse 3. And there come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let him down uh, the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lie. So let's try to get this picture here so that we, we, we get clarity on this. Jesus is in a house. There's just people everywhere, okay? They're hanging out everywhere, all right? Well, here comes one, and all that is sick of the palsy. By the way, the palsy is just simply paralysis, all right? Now, it doesn't tell us, was he paralyzed from the neck down? Was he paralyzed from the waist down? We just know he was paralyzed. In other words, he was unable on his own to get to Jesus, all right? He couldn't get to Jesus on his own. But we see here that there were four who were willing to take him up in his bed and get him to Jesus, all right? Matter of fact, they came there. The door was... The door was crowded. They couldn't get through the door. The windows were crowded. Couldn't get through the windows. What in the world are we going to do? Well, they, see, they went up to the roof of the house. They tore out the shingles and such like that, and they let the man down so he could get down and see Jesus. Let's look at a few things here for just a moment, all right? First of all, he was born of four. But the Bible doesn't say who they were, does it? Doesn't give names. Doesn't say who they were. And all we know is there was four individuals willing to help this man who couldn't get to Jesus by himself. They were willing to get him there. One way or another, they were going to get him in contact with Jesus. Well, we don't know what their names are. I'm not going to, you know, try to give them names. But I do have some things that I want to bring out here that I think these four represented, okay? And maybe even motivated. was their motivation behind what they did. So let's look at these four. First of all, there's compassion, all right? You know, I think one of the greatest verses in the Bible is over in uh, Matthew chapter 9, where it said that Jesus looked upon the multitude, okay? And he had compassion on them because they were sheep, having no shepherd, okay? Having no shepherd. Jesus had compassion on them. He, he looked out and he saw need. Now keep in mind, compassion is not feeling sorry for somebody, okay? Oftentimes we feel sorry for people. But compassion and everything is a motivation to help alleviate whatever that need may be. So in other words, if somebody is thirsty, you don't come up to them and say, hey man, I hope you find water somewhere. No, compassion says, I'm going to get you some water, all right? Or somebody who is, thir or who is hungry, man, hey, I hope you find a McDonald's gift card on the, you know, out in the parking lot. So, no, no. Compassion moves. Say, so, you know what? I'm going to get you some food. I'm going to get you some food. I'm going to take it where you can get some food, you see. I'm going to help alleviate the need. And that's what, this, what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 9. He saw these people out here, and he didn't see how they were dressed. He didn't see what kind of shoes they wore. He didn't see what kind of chariot they drove. He just saw them as sheep needing a shepherd. And he prayed. He told his disciples, pray. 
that the Father would send forth laborers into the field. You see, folks, those laborers are you and I. You know that? Oftentimes we think, oh, no, they're the missionaries. The missionaries are the laborers in the field. Lord, you send them. Or the pastor, he's the missionary. Lord, you said, no, listen, this is the message to each and every child of God. Every one of us are called to be a witness. That great commission over in Matthew chapter 28 where he told the church, go into all the world and make disciples, minister the gospel. That is not to the staff. That is not to the deacons. That is to every believer who makes up the body of Christ. That's every one of us. That's what we are called to do, you see. But listen, there has to be a compassion. We have to get past how we see people on the outside and realize that our sheep need of a shepherd, you see. So there's compassion. Secondly, there's commitment, okay? Boy, we live in a society today that's not committed to a whole lot themselves, right? I mean, we see people not committed to marriage. We see uh, people not committed to their job. We see committed. You know, one thing, I've been a sports fan for probably you know, 55 years. You know, I remember start back in 1967 and everything, keeping up with the Detroit Tigers and the Detroit Lions and the Detroit Pistons and all, because I lived 50 miles from Detroit, you know, so that was my team. And I kept up with those teams, you know. And, you know, it, it, it was, it, it was um, I guess you could say the rule that if a player started out with a team, he finished his career with that team, didn't he? You know, he finished his career. Boy, you don't see that now. It's like, show me the money. And wherever that money is, boom, that's where I'm going, you know. I remember one of my favorite players, and he just passed away last year. It was a guy by the name of Al Kaline. Played for the Detroit Tigers. Anybody ever heard of him? Okay, some of you have. Everything. Rookie of the year in 1955. Matter of fact, he's the youngest man to ever win a batting title in Major League Baseball. But in 68, when the Tigers went to the World Series, he was injured some of the season. And so he didn't play a full season, but he, he, he was uh, able to come back for the playoffs for the World Series and had a great World Series. And after that, the Detroit management said, you know what, you had a great World Series and everything. We want to we renew your contract. We want to give you a raise. Now, what would players today say about that? Yeah, bring it on, man. I'll take all you want to give me. And all. But Al Kaline said, you know what, let's wait till after this season and let's see how that goes, then we'll talk. You know, you just don't run into guys like that anymore. You know, people that are committed just to themselves. But here we see four men. It would have been real easy for them to say, hey, you know what? I think there's a spot right there. Yeah, we can get into this spot. Hey, I can fit in here. Well, listen, I'm small enough. I can crawl through the window. If they were just thinking about themselves, but they said, you know what? Here's somebody that has a need. You know, let's see if we can get him to Jesus. And they were committed. To get that man to Jesus, and all, even if it meant getting on top of the house and taking up the tiles and the shingles. There's compassion. There's commitment. Commitment. Then there's courage. Okay, there's courage. All right. Now I don't know about you and everything. I don't like heights. All right. I mean, I can fly forty thousand feet in a plane and go to sleep and not have any trouble. You put me on the top of the ladder and everything, I'll scream like a girl. You know. I mean, that's just the only way. There is. I just don't like being up there. You know, and that type of thing. And all. So here these guys are. They're going to climb up. They're going to get up on this roof. They're going to start pulling that roof apart so they can get that man down to see Jesus. You know, I think it took a little courage. And Christian today, let me tell you something. We are living in a society and a changing culture that I believe we're going to have to show some courage. 
we're going to have to know what we believe. We're going to have to know what we stand upon and everything because I believe our faith is going to be tested. Our faith is going to be tested. And if we aren't firmly grounded and anchored in the Word of God, then you know what? We're going to drift like we see our society and culture drifting today and all. But listen, we're going to have to have some courage, just like these men had courage back then. There's compassion. There's commitment. There's courage. And then lastly, there's Christ-likeness. Now, where do I see Christ-likeness? Well, remember, these four, they weren't concerned about themselves. They were concerned about another, all right? Well, even Jesus said, I've not come to be served. I have come to serve. And that's one reason we're looking at the Gospel of Mark and all, because it shows Christ as a servant. Paul described in Philippians chapter 2 that Christ took upon himself the form of a servant. When he came here, he didn't, he didn't set himself up as a monarch. He didn't set him up himself as a CEO of a business. He didn't make himself important. As a matter of fact, in everything the Bible says, he made himself of no reputation. It wasn't about him. It was about getting the message of the gospel out to others, you see. That's what Jesus was about. And that's the same mission he has passed unto you and I. Now, I think this is real interesting when you get to verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, all five of them, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, your sins be forgiven you. Now look at there. When he saw their faith, all right, he saw the effort. They wanted to get to Jesus. They wanted to get to him, and they were going to get there no matter what and however they had to do it. And when that man was lowered, we don't see any dialogue, do we? We don't see Jesus and the man talking to one another or th things like that. Jesus just saw their faith. Because here's the bottom line for it. Yes, faith is a belief, but the proof of that faith is action, isn't it? Okay, isn't that what James said? James said, you know what? You say you have faith, but I will show you my faith by how much money I put in the offering. No, by my works, you see. In other words, my life of being a servant will be a testimony to my faith, all right? Because that's what faith is, okay? It's active. It's action, okay? And that's what Christ's likeness, and that's what we're called to be. The Bible says we're to put on Christ and allow Christ to live his life through us, their faith. So let me ask you something, folks, this morning. How is your faith and my faith? How is our faith affecting others? Okay? Do people see who we are in our actions? Do our actions tell others that I am a disciple of Christ? Or do our actions betray, you see? That's a question we've got to ask. That's a question we must ask ourselves. You know, our institutions in our, in our nation are in trouble, okay? I think I'm making a big understatement when I say our country's in trouble. All right, and that's not based on how you vote or what political party you're. Pro I'm just our nation's in trouble. Okay, our homes are in trouble, our schools are in trouble, our governments for sure for sure screwed up. You know, I mean we've just got problems all the way around. Well, let me tell you something, church. If we're not exercising our faith, allow me to ask you this: What? good are we so if all we're doing here is sitting in some you know 
cozy little social Christian churchy religious club and everything. I'm going to be honest with you. I got better things to do. You know, we're here because we have been given a divine purpose. And that is to be a light of the gospel. That is to be salt. That is to be light, you see. And while we see a world that is desperately caving in around us, folks, we must stand firm upon the rock of Jesus Christ because they are going to be looking for some place to find hope, to find peace, and to find purpose in life. And that is found only in the person of Jesus Christ. Not found anywhere else. Not found anywhere else. We must be aware of that. Now, let's go to verse 6. For there were certain of the scribes sitting there, and they reasoned within their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason you these things in your hearts? Whether it is easy to say to the sick of the palsy, your sins forgiven, or to say arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the sick of the palsy, and we'll see that in verse 11. So do you see what's going on here? You know what we find in Jesus' ministry that I think is so cool is that his ministry is radical. I know a lot of people don't like that word, especially when we talk about radical right, radical left, you know, things like that. But Jesus was radical in the fact that he did things out of the norm, all right? Rather than like the Pharisees and the scribes who said, come to the synagogue, sit down, I will teach you what the law says, Jesus decided he was going to go out, he was going to meet the people, engage the people, share the people who he was and the truth of God's Word. And then he even went on to use these really neat little word, uh, word stories or picture stories called parables. You know, They'd never heard things like that before. And so these, these scribes were saying, Man, this, this forgives sin? Who could do that but God? Because they didn't recognize him as God, as Messiah. And so he said, which is easier to say? Don't you know that the Son of Man has power on earth? And I think it's very important that we understand that power there because Jesus himself said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. All right, Matthew 28, right? All power is given unto me. In other words, Christ, by that statement, was declaring himself as God. Okay? And he even went on to say, I and my Father are one. So we see here the Son of Man, his power. He does have all authority as the Son of Man, authority on earth. As the Son of God, authority in heaven. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I think we have, need to get a renewed picture who Jesus is because if I ask you this morning picture Jesus what is the picture you get I know what sometimes it is I get I remember going over to uh, my grandmother's house and on Catholic background and she had that she had a picture of Jesus on the wall and there he sat you know dressed like the shepherd sitting on a rock and everything and he had this lamb on his lap you know and yes, he is the gentle shepherd. We know that. You know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. I shall not want. We get that. 
But sometimes I think that is our only, we got this tunnel vision when it comes to how we see Jesus. Or maybe we think that, you know, he's in the line with, you know, Buddha and with Muhammad and some other great religious teachers like there, you know, and he just kind of falls, falls in file with that and such, and that's who Jesus is. But we need to come to understand and realize a fresh look at him that he is God, okay? He is God. And when he arose from the grave, he ascended into heaven and took his rightful place at the throne of power at the right hand of God. Do we see him as God today? Philip DeCourcy is a teacher on the radio. I don't know if he's down in the stations down here, but he's on WCRH out of Williamsport. Comes on at 9 o'clock Monday through Friday. And this last week I was listening to him, and he made a statement. I think is so apropos for this. He said, the reason we fear God less is because we fear man too much. Think about that. Our fear of man lessens our fear of God. Now, when we talk about fear of God, you know I'm not talking about being scared of God, okay? That's not talking. When we see fear, the fear of God in the Bible is talking about an awe of God a respect of God, an understanding of who God is, you see. That's what we want to see. I remember Dr. Ergen Canner brought a message one time along the time. And if you ever see a picture of Jerusalem, especially from the Mount of Olives, you know, you would be looking west at all because the Mount of Olives is east of Jerusalem. And we know that Jesus walked that path from the Mount of Olives down and into the city of Jerusalem. Well, the gate on that side of the walls of Jerusalem is called the Eastern Gate, okay? Because it faces east, obviously, the Eastern Gate. And that is the gate that Jesus rode into, you know, prior to his crucifixion. Remember on the donkey and the whole thing like that and everything? That is the gate that he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem at that time. Well, since about the 600s, you know, Jerusalem, up until the 1800s, was under control of Muslims. Islam had control of that. And the Muslims had heard that the Jewish Messiah, when he comes back, he's going to enter into the Eastern Gate when he comes to Jerusalem. So what they went and done is they bricked it all up. Okay? If you look at the Eastern gate today it's closed it's all bricked up you can't get up to it and the reason they did that saying that way when the jewish messiah comes back he cannot enter in we've got it all bricked up i want you to think about that for just a minute the bible says that christ one day he's going to gather the host of heaven isn't he he's going to be on that white horse he's going to ex- exit glory He's going to make his way through the universe that he spoke into existence. He's going to pass the several galaxies, Andromeda and others. He's going to enter into our Milky Way galaxy. And like an arrow, he's going to make a shot for this solar system of ours. And here he comes past Pluto and Uranus and Neptune and all those planets. And when he enters into the atmosphere of Earth, it will be like a meteor shower. And he will set foot upon the Mount of Olives. He will walk through the Kidron Valley up to the eastern wall. Do you think those bricks are going to stop him? It ain't going to happen, you see. And you know why they're not going to stop him? He's God. He's God, you see. Folks, I think we need a fresh view. 
I think we need to get a fresh view in all of who Jesus Christ is. Now notice there in verse 11. Jesus said, I say unto you, Arise, take up your bed, and go your way to your house. And after three weeks he arose. To what? What, Nathaniel? Immediately. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all. Insomuch that they were all amazed. They glorified God, saying, <laughs> We ain't never seen nothing like this. Isn't that cool? Isn't that neat? Arise immediately. They were amazed. Let me tell you something. When God is at work, people get amazed. You know that? Man, I'd like to see God really start working in our life as a church and all and see something and everything because that way people would be amazed. Not amazed at us, amazed at God. And you know what? I think we ought to get amazed at God too. Amen? We ought to be looking to get amazed at God. And notice, they didn't all run and join the church. They didn't all put their names on some sign-up list somewhere. What'd they do? They glorified God. They glorified God. You know what, as a witness, you know why we're here? We're to glorify God. It's that simple. On Monday, we're to glorify God. On Tuesday, we're to glorify God. At work, we're to glorify God. With our families, we're to glorify God. Wherever it is you may be, we're to glorify God. And all things, you know why? Because he's worthy. He's worthy of that. The radical ministry of Jesus. We're seeing God at work. You see a God at work in your life? We see God at work in the life of our church? I don't know about you, but I sure do. Amen.